Good morning. I'm gonna sit on a stool today because I'm feeling hip <laughs> and emergent. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna sit in this stool. But it's so good to be here, and we are in the third Sunday of Easter. Woohoo! Which means Christ is still risen, right? <laughs> and He's always risen. It's not not just on Easter where Christ is risen, but Christ is risen all the time. Amen. And uh, that's what we come here. We come here to celebrate that. And we come here in the power of that reality. We become empowered. And this is what this passage is all about. It's about the promised Holy Spirit. The promise of Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said to his disciples, Stay, in Acts chapter 1, stay and wait here until the promised Holy Spirit comes. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. Till the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit will empower you and you will be my witnesses um, in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. But for now, wait. And so preceding uh, this passage uh, that Catherine just read, uh, the disciples were staying in the upper room. And it said that they prayed together and they ate together and they worshiped together and they waited. And also there were women among them who came and waited. And at that time, it says, the family of believers, the, this early church, uh, was about 150. They're at 150 and they're brothers and sisters and they're a family and they're waiting on the Lord. Our passage follows the Pentecost miracle. That's when people were in a room and all of a sudden there's this, this howling wind like a hurricane and, it's, and uh, flames like tongues of fire rested on each, over each person. And then the people who were surrounding that event began to uh, understand what the disciples were saying as they were preaching the gospel. They understood in their own native tongue. So whatever the disciples were speaking and we don't know, right? The people were understanding what they were saying in their own native tongue. It's like they had a universal translator. Right? The disciples had a universal translator and everybody was understanding this. And so a massive crowd was gathering and people were confused. And some people were like, these disciples are drunk. It's 10 a.m. in the morning and they're babbling all of this stuff. They must be drunk. This is utter confusion. This is nonsense. Um, and so this is where Peter takes the opportunity to step up and give the very first big tent revival in history. Right? He preaches to the gathered crowd. And he comes into this situation of be people being bewildered, bewildered or confused and takes the opportunity to bring clarity and context for what was happening. Um, because even before this, people knew of the death of Jesus, right? Jerusalem, it was the Passover time. Jerusalem had swelled in its population um, as people were making their pilgrimages to the city and for Passover. And there's this story of Jesus, this, this guy who did miracles, this teacher, this rabbi, some who called him Messiah and Savior, who was executed, who was killed. And then this mystery, this mysterious death, but his body's not there anymore. So what's going on? 
There's an empty tomb. And so all of this kind of cloud of mystery is surrounding um, the death of Jesus. But we hear that some have seen this Jesus, risen from the dead, have seen this Jesus alive. What? What's going on? And we know from Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spent time 40 days with his disciples, um, just hanging out with them. It says he taught them, he ate with them, he told them more things. And I kind of wish the Bible had like those 40 days. Like, I wonder what he told them. Like, this is going to happen. You guys should do this. Or was it like strategizing? I don't know. Um, But he gave them more of his stuff, really good stuff, the gospel, the good news to them. And, um, And that's when he said, wait here and I have to leave. But the comforter, the advocate, the promised Holy Spirit is going to come. And so, boom, Pentecost. And then Peter takes this op- that opportunity to give a sermon. And his two main points are, are this. One, the Pentecost experience was actually a fulfillment of the scriptures, of the prophetic promise of God's gift of the Spirit for end times, right? God, the Old Testament, the prophets spoke of God's Spirit coming. The prophet Joel, he quotes, Peter quotes, uh, the prophet Joel, in those days, right, young men, old, old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions, right? There will be this renewal, and this is because the Spirit of God will come upon the people, and this kind of renewal will happen. And then secondly, in, in Peter's sermon, the second point is that Jesus' resurrection itself, it was true, it happened, and it's actually a, also a fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus was resurrected was proof that Jesus was Lord, one A, Lord. He was exalted as Lord, and that he was also Messiah and Savior. He was the prophesied Messiah. So Jesus is alive, he's God, and he's Messiah, Savior. And this, this notion of being Messiah and Savior is not just kind of this transactional thing, right? Jesus died, he, he raised, so if I just believe and I get baptized, right, I'm good. But this being exalted as Lord is both as sitting at the right hand of God, as God himself, but also as Lord of the kingdom, right? The king, he's the exalted king sitting on his throne over the kingdom. And Jesus, over and over in the gospels in his life, talked about how the kingdom is at hand, right? The kingdom of God is both tomorrow, but it's also here and now. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is how you live. This is how you live in the kingdom of heaven. And so to say that Jesus is the exalted king and the exalted Lord also has implications for people in the moment, for us today as well, that he is Lord of our lives, that he is king of of a reality that some people don't see or don't recognize, but we as Jesus followers who make Jesus King and Lord of our life recognize right, that kingdom, recognize that reality in this world, and we submit ourselves to that. So these two events uh, are related. Uh, everything surrounding Jesus' res- death and resurrection and this Pentecost uh, moment of rushing wind and just amazing kind of the wonders of God being displayed right before the people. Um, so this sermon, Peter's sermon, Pentecost sermon, 
um, I think had one purpose, and that purpose was to proclaim the gospel, good news as we learned from Erica, the good news, and call people to repentance and new life in Jesus. But before I go further, I'm going to do a quiz here. If you can hit the next slide, slide. and you guys will do fill in the blank. So it's not the size of the dog, it's the size of the fight in the dog, yeah. Uh, okay, great things come in awesome. Enjoy the awesome. It's the, there's a theme here, it's the small things in life, right? And the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Yeah, and uh, I've been, re- actually, I've been really reflecting on this, the notion of the mustard seed. And um, this week, um, Erica, Catherine, and, and then Twings came later for the evening. We went to the conference annual meeting where Renew was consecrated, voted in, and received as, uh, and recommended to the national denomination as an official member church uh, of the evangelical covenant denomination. And it was really cool just to get our heads laid on and to be prayed for. And then the next morning I was there and they did like the official Robert's rules, like whatever, motion to blah, 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 blah. And uh, they, everyone said, we welcome you. And just having that people say we welcome you um, was really good. But um, we also went and there was like a continuing ed time with uh, Christina Cleveland and she spoke about kind of racial justice and diversity in the church. And, uh, um, and then I ran into all, you know, all these people that I know and some of my mentors, uh, Clyde Oda, uh, he's an ex-IV staffer, but when he, I came on staff just as he was leaving but I heard all these amazing things. Clyde, Yoda, Oda, right? Like, he's wise and he's like this, you know, Yoda figure. And uh, so I've had in my past like a couple conversations with them and they've been very like piercing, right? And just timely and and really good. And we were talking about, he was talking about a book he read about um, something about the small things, like ministry and the small things or or something, like, or slow ministry, or something like that. Was that what it was called? Yeah, and we began to have that kind of, that whole dialogue around that. Even in children's ministry, we think maybe like the programs and loud music and like woo, 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 like lights and flashing things is what is going to draw children and families and stuff like that. But really, it's, Erica was saying, it's the contemplative, right? What if it's the contemplative that the children really need and really want? And we actually do them a disservice. And Clyde was talking about his book, like, yeah, there's you know people in ministry, pastors or churches, we're constantly trying to seek after this platform. Let me build my platform so I'll have a voice. Or let's grow really fast, like the church growth movement. This is how you grow and get become a mega church. Or these are how you implement all of these things. And he was saying, but uh, it's actually the slow things, right? Doing ministry right, building relationships, pursuing intimacy together, life together, um, the, the slow way, kind of the character ethic. Like what happened to character over competence, right? 
we want to develop people who love God, are faithful, have character, and not just go after talent or like reward talent and stuff like that. But anyways, this theme of small, right, and slow, and then Al Tazan, who was the kind of Friday night speaker, he talked about the mustard seed, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And his point was that we often get overwhelmed by the brokenness and the evil in the world, right? We hear about injustices, we hear about war, we hear about human trafficking, and we get so sad and we're like, what can I do as an individual or even as a church, what can we even do to even make a dent in this? We can't, we can't do anything. And his point was, but the way that Jesus saw the kingdom of heaven or the way that he worked or operated was was to focus and invest in the small things or focus and invest in his disciples, right? And that it's in the small things that change the world, amen? The small things can change the world if you're faithful. And uh, he does all this kind of global mission stuff. And he was like, it's not sexy. Like the things people are doing out there that are changing the world, it's not sexy at all. Right? It's sometimes tedious and just like the everyday faithfulness. And so that was a good reminder to me. And I love that kind of stuff because so, I like rooting for the underdog. You know, I'm short in stature myself. So I'm like, yeah, small things, big change. Right? It's not the size of the dog, but the size of the fight of the dog. And, and that's what I like about Renew. It's like, yeah, we got grit, we got fight. Right? Like, there's hope. We can do something. It's a mustard seed. In college, if you can hit the next slide. Uh, I, I might be embarrassed to admit this, but I used to love the band, in, the Indigo Girls, two, two uh, friends, and uh, listen to it in college and like light your incense and like have like one of those lava lamps and just like woo, do your homework listening to Indigo Girls. And, um, but one of their songs is called Ghost, and uh, it kind of a verse in it, I'll just read it, it goes like this. And the Mississippi's mighty, but it starts in Minnesota, at a place that you could walk across with five steps down. And I guess that's how you started, like a pinprick to my heart. But at this point, you rush right through me, and I start to drown. And obviously, maybe this is about romantic love, but you know, you can change every love song into a worship song, right? So the, <laughs> So I kind of applied this to the Holy Spirit and this moment here in Acts chapter 2 is like there's this pinprick, right? The people of God have been waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. And maybe they're scared and they're not quite sure what's going to happen. And there's nothing kind of glorious about their situation or where they're at. And there's even persecution around them. And there's the fog of war, right? The unknown outside of their walls. And yet they have this vision and this promise from Jesus, like, you're actually going to be my witnesses, not just here, but out there, and even further to the ends of the world. And they're like, what? How's this going to happen? That overwhelming feeling like the world out there is so big, and we right here, right now, feel so small. Like, how can this be? Right? And, then, and then there's Pentecost. And then Peter preaches. 
And after he's done preaching, he says, therefore, in verse 36, let all Israel know beyond question that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is Lord and Christ, and you crucified him. Right? Talk about hard statements. And then it says, when the crowd heard this, they were deeply troubled. The NIV says, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What now? What should we do? Right? It's amazing when you think about the church. How did the church start? Right? This is the beginnings of the church. And it started in this small room, right? This band of followers and the, Holy, the promised Holy Spirit coming like this pinprick, right? This pinprick. And the people around who heard Peter's words, the sermon, they were cut to the heart. There was a pinprick in their heart. And little did they know that this mustard seed would actually become a mighty river that would just rush and overwhelm them, right? So Peter's all done, and they're like, what should we do? And he says, change your hearts and lives. Repent. Change. Right? What is the response? So I see this, this kind of pinprick being cut to the heart as conviction, right? How many of you have been convicted in your life before? Of anything. Doesn't that have to be about Jesus? Right? To be convicted means you feel, um, you think one way, and then someone introduces another way, or something happens that changes your mind, or something happens that hits you over the side of your head. Usually that's what happens to me. Right? Someone hits you over the side of the head, and you're like, oh, I see now. I see now, that's conviction, that I was wrong, or that's what I need to believe. That's what I believe now, right? Conviction. But is conviction really conviction if you never do anything about it, right? I can watch a world vision or whatever video and see children who don't have access to clean water, right? Or, you know, other things. And my heart can go out to them. My heart can be broken. I can even be, feel guilt. But I think true conviction kind of is the impetus or the starting point for passion. Does that make sense? And passion Passion isn't just, the way I'm using passion isn't just like emotion. I feel passionate about ice cream, right? So I'm going to be loud. Yay! Whenever I see chocolate ice cream, I'm going to get really loud. Woo! Passion! Right? Because pa- that kind of passion fades. Um, but passion that drives calling or drives a lifestyle or drives a series of convictions Conviction-driven actions. That's what I'm talking about. True conviction leads to action. And in our, kind of for our purposes, as people of faith, as disciples of Jesus, 
Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, right? And it leads to repentance, and it leads to action or changed living. Change your lives. Change your hearts and lives. Repent. Repent. And again, I don't think what we're talking about here is this transactional thing. Like, I believe, so I say the prayer, believer's prayers, and then my sins are going to be erased because Jesus lives. He's Savior. But more, Jesus is Lord of my life, and I'm walking in the wrong direction. And I feel convicted about that. So I'm going to turn my life around and live as if Jesus is Lord. And live as if, right, there's some, a, a better reality, a different way. Amen? Amen? And it's a promise, right? It's actually good news. It's not bad news. It's not, repent or go to the fire, lake of fire and die, right? Or some of the people out there with their signs, right? Follow Jesus or go to hell, right? It's repent and change your lives because this is the gift. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 39, this promise is for you. It's a promise. It's an inheritance. It's a gift. And it's for, it's a wide, like God wants to give this gift to everyone, right? He wants to give it. He's a generous God. He wants to give it to many people. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God invites. So ask the question, how many people can God invite? Right? As many as God invites, that's who the gift is for. And you think, oh, he's God, so he's infinite, so his invitations can be infinite. Like he's not limited by a budget or you know, postal stamps or having enough stationery for his invitations. He's going to invite broadly and widely, and as many people will receive the gift. That's who God is inviting. It is good news, right? It's life. God is calling people into life. And people are being cut to the heart, not to feel shame or feel or kind of dwell, drown in guilt, but they're cut to the heart to change their lives. So they can walk towards life. Amen? Jesus is the way to life. And we need to recapture and re-understand and reclaim this as the church and his believers. Right? Too often we see Jesus or church as death. Right? Oh, I need to cut. I need to gouge my eye out or cut my arm off. Right? But Jesus has the gift of life. He's the Lord of life. Amen? So we are walking. When we repent, when we're convicted, we're turning and changing our lives and walking away from darkness and into life. And you can believe that. I like this. I've been reflecting, and I think I wore this plaid shirt because I'm like, I, I want to be church planter Dave, right? So I can always, I was telling Catherine this, I can walk into the coffee shop or Starbucks or something and I can point out the pastors. Oh, those guys are pastors, right? Those guys are church planters because nowhere else will you see middle-aged men wearing plaid, 
<laughs> right? It's like, I'm 41, I'm wearing plaid. <laughs> right? And, and Converse, Converse All-Stars. So I'm like, pastor, pastor, or like worship leader. There's a worship leader right there, or a youth, youth director. And sure enough, they're talking about church and church planting, and, and they're hanging out in Starbucks. That's the other, that's the other thing. And so, uh, so I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm wearing this. Um, why did I go there? <laughs> oh, um, but I've been reflecting on what are the things that were important to me when I was a younger minister, when I was early in my ministry days, when God was calling me into ministry. What were the things that I valued and were really important to me? And uh, I think uh, I remember uh, Christy in one of our small groups mentioned uh, the Master Plan of Evangelism, and that was a book. Um, it needs to be updated, so that's why we stopped using it. Uh, but it was a book that we took students through all the time, Master Plan of Evangelism. And basically, it goes through Jesus' life, how he called his disciples, and like multiplication in the kingdom happens through discipleship. Not, not necessarily like the big like, event or the big program, but just that, that faithful investment in the few. And that Jesus was very selective uh, of the few. And we got into trouble with that book just because it's like, whoa, you guys are selecting people, right? Like, then you run into all that, like, who are you selecting? Um, but investing in a few people, and it's like basically the kingdom's version of the pyramid scheme, right? You invest in two people, and those two people invest in five people, and that's how the kingdom of heaven expands and multiplies. And that was Jesus's, one of Jesus's strategies. Another thing that made me tick uh, was this idea of smaller groups before large groups, right? So in our context, it's like the worship gathering would be a large group, and small groups would be the communities that were built around scripture study. And we, if you're starting something, you would always start with the small group, right? And it's where, where the value is, where, where you really count how our group is doing or how our community is doing is the health of your small groups, not how many people are coming to the large gathering. So th that's one of the things um, that were important to me. Um, and then a third thing that was important to me was uh, focusing on your leaders and their development. Um, yeah, just focusing. Like sometimes you would sell, you would sacrifice something in order uh, to develop that person, one person, and that that, that had value. Right? more than just the numbers, focusing on that one person had value. And then, of course, building community around scripture study. Like the word of God is really important. It's the living kind of word of God, and it has the power to shape and form us and to shape and form God's community. And that was very important to me. And I think I'm feeling nostalgic um, because I've re been reflecting on uh, I have a pinprick in my heart right now, right? And I've been reflecting on the years since then as I've been a pastor planting a church. 
and trying to do the church thing, uh, what that has meant. And I think it's been this struggle of like, oh, I gotta build this thing, you know, I gotta build this large group, right? I gotta gather this large group and kind of missing out on, oh, what are the, the small group things or the investing in people, right? Or, or the things that we do outside of these walls. Like how are we moving out and loving people beyond this gathering? And I think there's a tension in that, right? Because we also talk about the importance of church, the importance of Sunday service. And we are trying to develop something here, the community of God worshiping together. Um, so there's that tension and then that, that tension of wanting our identity to be beyond this, right? And um, God moves through small things and little things change the world. And we need to listen when we're cut to the heart. When something's stirring in our hearts, we need to be attentive to that again, like to the voice and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Like God is doing something. God is moving. And as, a, as, as believers, we listen for that, right? And, and we want to wait for those things. And um, the power of prayer. Uh, I remember early uh, in the days when we were meeting in our home as seed. We were called seed, mustard seed. Yeah. We used to do some prayer walking, and I would regularly prayer walk every morning. Um, There's a cemetery where we used to live, our town home. And it was nice for walking around. It's peaceful. I mean, there's dead people, so. Um, but we'd walk around, and I'd walk around in prayer, and I'd just be like, pray for renew. And this was every day. And I remember inviting people, our core, over email, like, join me. Or I, join me on Saturday mornings at 6, and we'll go to Green Lake, and we'll walk around, and we'll prayer walk. And I did that for, like, I, I did that invitation for like five weeks. No one ever came, so I just stopped. I, started do, I just did it on my own. And I realized, in retrospect, I'm like, strategically, 6 a.m. in the morning. You know, I was trying to do like the Korean, like, you know, early morning prayer thing. And like, we're hardcore. But, you know, we had mostly young adults working and like having a good time Friday night, so... No one ever came, so I gave that up. I just, I'll just do it myself. And so I remember prayer walking. I remember uh, we did do times on Sundays as a core. We'd go prayer walking uh, around the neighborhoods. And we took cameras. So we broke up into groups, and we took cameras. And we'd go around. We'd divide up the area. And different groups went to different areas. And they took pictures. And the hope was like to bring the pictures. This is our neighborhood. This is what we're praying for. What did you see? And kind of debrief that. I feel like there's something the Holy Spirit is pricking in our hearts. Just from conversations uh, with different people. Like a similar thing, a similar theme is coming up. Like what are we doing to engage our neighborhood, right? The Holy Spirit is moving. And it puts a pinprick. It cuts our heart. 
And the question that we ask in the midst of that is, now what? We owe, that's the question of the disciple who's convicted and who's moved by the Spirit is constantly, now what do we do? <laughs> what is our response to what the Holy Spirit is saying or convicting us about? And that, I think that we're in that place now, right? What is our response? Who are we going to be? What, what now? What is Jesus? Where is Jesus in our midst? And here are some questions. And if you want to, there's no cards and pencils in the fanny packs on your chairs. So if you want to uh, write, kind of respond on those, you, those will be for yourself. You can keep those. Uh, um, but the question I want to ask, questions I want to ask are, has there been uh, something stirring in your heart that has been convicting you? lately what has been stirring in your own heart but in the context of being sent as witness loving our neighbors what are ideas or longings you have for yourself or for this church so take some time to think about that and reflect